Welcome to Cerebronas. I'm Cynthia. And I'm Yvette. This is a Chiquita Sode, also known as episode 13. We're two Latinas from working class immigrant families navigating law school and bringing y'all raw critical analysis of law, current events, and personal politics. Why? Because we want to break down the barriers set up by elite institutions and democratize knowledge. On this episode, we'll be interviewing my good friend Fatima, a social worker serving people who are currently in state custody. She explains the harm reduction framework that she uses in her work. Before we get into the interview, we just also wanted to give folks a more explicit definition of harm reduction. And so harm reduction is a set of practical strategies and ideas aimed at reducing the negative consequences associated with things like drug use. So it's the recognition that people are going to engage in risky behavior, and instead of trying to stop them, those who believe in harm reduction look for ways and prioritize like minimizing the harm that goes along with the behavior instead of, again, trying to get them to stop. So hopefully that helps. And now, without further ado, here, enjoy our interview. Hi, everyone. We're here today with my good friend Fatima, who I've known for a while since we were teenagers. And she's here today to talk about her work as a social worker. She currently serves people who are in state custody, and she's going to share with us her knowledge on the harm reduction framework and why it's really important. So thanks for coming on, Fatima. Thanks for letting Hi, me be here. Do you want to introduce yourself or anything, or you just want to keep it out of what Yvette said? Yeah, um, I'm also an organizer with Survive and Punished. Um, oh, that's so dope. I don't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, now you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm a social worker. I'm a abolitionist social worker working in the legal field with other legal workers. <laughs> Can you say just quickly, like, why you went into social work? Like, why you, because yeah. uh, that's like, you had to do a program and like get yeah. loans and mm-hmm. go into debt. So like, what made you want to do that? Yeah. I'm a second generation social worker. Mm. I guess professional social worker, because I think there's a difference, mm-hmm. right, between being a social worker and then being a professionalized social worker that carries a lot of, like, legal, state-sanctioned shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which fortunately I don't necessarily have to, like, corroborate with because of my legal role also mm-hmm. in how I work and with who I work with. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just social justice, you know, it's part of my bloodline. Why not? (laughs) So you saw social work as the avenue to do social justice. Yeah, exactly. That, and you know, my mom's a social worker and she's a pretty badass social worker. And it's funny because like the first few social workers I thought were social workers when I was growing up were community leaders and organizers too. So that's what I thought was social work growing up, Mm. you know? So I was like, I want to do that. Why not? That's really dope. Yeah. Okay. So first, before we kind of start more in-depth, can you just explain the harm reduction framework quickly? Like, what is it about? Yeah. Um, So I like to start with what it's not, Mm. because people get it twisted. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So harm reduction, I think, just to put it simply, it's not, you know, the force of everybody to use drugs and alcohol, you know? It's not like, oh, we condone it, we, like... We want everybody to use, and if you're not using, you're not cool. Like, that's not what it is. Um, It is a spectrum, right, that includes 
managed use, which could lie, lie in the middle. It includes abstinence also, and it includes, you know, your regular use, whatever that might look like and mean to you. Um, but also while um, it, it, it's, it also mentions like risky behavior, right? Um, or at risk, risky behavior and minimizing the harms that can go along with those risky behaviors. So when you're talking about harm reduction, you're, it's like a framework that's applied for drug use? It can be, mm-hmm. What else? Um, any other harm that you can, the things, or things that we do that um, cause, that causes harm to us directly or by the state or by other like agencies, you know? But usually it's tied to like our individual behavior, yeah. I don't know if that answers. No, that doesn't. Yeah. Okay. So when you're when you're doing work in harm reduction, mm -hmm. what do you see alter like harm reduction as the alternative to like why harm work harm reduction is one framework like what and it's I think like not as commonly utilized, right? Yeah, I think it depends. I think it depends. So it's not like the popular framework. Like what's most practiced no, across the country? No, people there are and there aren't. I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's definitely still like a stigmatized type of thing. To so what's do. what's the other thing? Like what is? It would is be like work? abstinence only. You know, like um, like for instance, one of the fields that harm reduction can be used for is people who engage in sex work or in the sex industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then like the alternative for harm reduction would be, for instance, in my field would be abstinence only programming. You know, drug treatment programming versus a harm reduction-based model where the counselor asks the participant or the client, what's your goal? Mm -hmm. You know, what is your goal for what you want your use to look like? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and if that means, you know, you can't go to work like super drunk, right, every day, so maybe you'll drink a little bit in the morning and then the rest at night after work, you know? So like uh, abstinence-only programs, that's like, we're talking about like jail and prison. Yeah, it could be that, or even drug treatment programs, too. Um, but particularly, well, supposedly, yeah, because you, yeah, I mean, in jails and prison, ideally, they think, right, their goal is to not have any drugs or alcohol there. I think one of the things that I think is really cool about this framework is that it returns agency to people, or it, like, increases their agency or recognizes their agency, mm -hmm. which I feel like is really important in social work, because mm -hmm. I feel like, historically, like, social work because social workers are working for the state mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. social workers can participate in mm -hmm. criminalization oh, and absolutely. like robbing people of absolutely. their agency mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so i just wanted to ask like why you think it's this might seem like an obvious question to some people but like why do you think it's important to respect people's agency in their drug use for example yeah i mean people are already robbed of our agency every single day, especially mm -hmm. depending on our target identities. Mm -hmm. Like, the more of that you have, the less agency you are, you know, I hate to say given, right, yeah. by the state. And the more that you resist, the more you're retaliated against, too. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's important, too, because, shit, like, we should have control over our own bodies, you know? Mm -hmm. That's, like, it's mine. Like, not just <laughs> what we do with it, but what we put in it. Right, exactly. Like, it's mine. Like, you can't... Yeah. And then and then also just... The, it speaks to also how the state continues that dehumanizing people for their drug use, for instance, 
um, when they do go to prison or if they do go to prison, you know, we, t we have forced sterilization, you know, when people Mom. are, especially of like women and femmes, like when they are in prison, yeah. the, again, this whole, like the deserving and the undeserving over bodily autonomy. Can we talk about a little bit about like the criminalization? Cause I think that's something we talk about a lot on this podcast, just like how people are criminalized and mm -hmm. put into the uh, criminal justice system. We've talked about mm -hmm. before about women, um, like committing doing a uh, doing abortions who are criminalized mm -hmm. so what do you see in your work like day to day like how are people criminalized like what do you see where are the harms taking place mm -hmm. in these communities mm -hmm. a lot of that okay so i do want to put a disclaimer a little I'm sorry if it's midway, but I'm not an expert, right? So this is all from my experience. Okay, you right what may I not see. be like a quote-unquote expert, <laughs> but you have a lot of wisdom. True, yeah. okay, so thank you. Just go. Okay, cool. Um, with that being said, the explicit harms, I would say, are criminalization in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be the first harm. Um, and, like, how do you see that taking place? Like, you were telling us some stories earlier about, like, how people will commit robbery right. or, like, people will be stopped. Right, like, so I, for instance, if there is someone who needs to work multiple jobs to make ends meet, they might be using meth to stay up the whole night, but they're also homeless, you know? Um, so they might break and enter into a home where no one is in there, no one is harmed, right? Um, to shower and to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then they're arrested and charged with robbery, you know, like it's a <laughs> felony and all of this stuff. Um, when really it's, when you live in the Bay Area, really in a lot of places, but particularly the Bay Area, where like there's over 7,000 homeless people, right? I think in San Francisco, um, and it might be a little more higher, uh, you're criminalized for your survival. And mm -hmm. that's a lot of like what mm -hmm. that's about. It's criminalizing people for their survival. Um, especially, you know, and I, and then I like to be careful when talking about that because I hate to go into this whole dichotomy of the deserving, the undeserving, right? Oh, they're just trying to make ends meet, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. They don't mm -hmm. deserve to be punished. That's so key. You know? Yeah. So I want to be mindful of that too. Yeah. But the harms can, you know, they can look like a lot of things. Yeah. yeah that's we're, just one of them. We were talking earlier about how a lot of these things, like the drug use that's criminalized and the sex work that's criminalized is oftentimes, coral it's... I feel like they're really targeting people who are poor and who are just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you, like, and I feel like that's why harm reduction is really important because mm -hmm. it's like, why are people poor in the first place? Mm -hmm. Like, why why are people forced to survive in that way in the first place? Right. Um, right. And so how do you see harm reduction related to, like, non-reformist reforms? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. kind of trying to tackle the root of yeah. all of these things. Right, right. I think it's also like both and, right? Um, meeting people where they're at with their direct needs right then and there, which is one of the key things when working with people who are in the sex trade or do do sex work, right? Um, it's handling first immediate needs and then also looking at the systemic barriers, right? Um, so what are those first immediate needs, needs before you go on, just so that people get, can get a yeah, sex? Yeah, it can be, like, for instance, people, like, when working with people who are in the sex trade, um, they think, like, oh, you need to get out, you know, so let me give you a job, but let me give you a nine-to-five, you know? <laughs> um, it's like, wait, that's not what I'm asking for right now. That's not what I need right now, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I need medical care that's not going to judge me for the shit that I do, yeah. you know, whether it's my drug use or my sex work or whatever, you know? Um, and, and then 
It can be it can be general, you know, it can be housing. <laughs> it could be clean needles or clean things to use, you know, with like sterile water. It could be Narcan, you know, all of these things it should be What's free. What's Narcan? It's naloxone, so it's the counter. It's basically, it's, if you're ODing, right, mm -hmm. um, it wakes you up. It's oh. a counter to the drug that's being oh, okay. used. Um, and then it's for opiates, I believe, mm. specifically. It's to counter opiate use. Um, and then, you know, then you look at the bigger things, right? The more root things, the root causes things. Um, Anti-blackness within the criminal legal system, right? And then just in general, too, <laughs> just everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it is lack of, you know, great medical care and free and affordable medical care. Not even great um, sometimes, just... Right. A period at all, but yeah. also meaning like culturally relevant and specific mm. to people and their work and their abilities. Um, and then, what else? Uh, it, it can, yeah, it can just... <laughs> we know the big things. Yeah. The abolition of the state, for instance. <laughs> That's stretching it, I guess. <laughs> Um, I liked your point about how, like, this framework actually can be about also lessening the negative impacts of the state. Yeah. Um, so, like, what are some of the most important things in that respect that you feel like? Yeah. So, I think that, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, um, when we talk about harm reduction, um, and especially how it intersects with the legal field, um, mm -hmm. right, the the intent and the the goal should be what can we do legally to weaken the state? And sometimes people, when they are harm reductionists or talking to harm reductionists um, or in harm reduction spaces, they think that LEAD is harm reduction, right? What is LEAD? LEAD is the Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion Program that's starting up in different parts of the country. Um, I, my opinion personally is that it's not harm reduction because wait, but let's like give the context of oh, what, what exactly it is what the program is so folks know why it's like so that when you say why it's not right so that means that cops are given money cops and their police districts are given money to allegedly not arrest people for drug related use right um and I'm not super familiar with it but the goal is to basically not criminalize drug use yeah so like in the podcast you sent me it was like they described it as the they got money from like these nonprofits. i think it was like ford mm -hmm. or and this other one i can't remember mm -hmm. which one open society mm -hmm. and they like officers got like additional training mm -hmm. and then they were had like an area of the city where mm -hmm. in seattle where they were the officers on random days right. would not arrest mm -hmm. and instead would divert people mm -hmm. And they were looking at, like, the cost, like, oh, when we arrest someone, we end up spending, like, this much on the booking and this much on, like, per day, per like, mm -hmm. per day they're in jail. Mm -hmm. And so, that yeah, that's, like, kind of what I, right. what I learned from what you sent me. And <laughs> diverting them to, like, either hospitals, right, if they need immediate medical care. It could mean diverting them to case management programs or other direct service agencies, too. Um... But come on, cops don't know that. <laughs> like, yeah. they, and sure, you can talk about training all day and you want whatever, but if it means giving more money to the state, I don't want it. It's not harm reduction to me because mm -hmm. it's antithetical to the social justice values that are supposedly supposed to be inherent to harm reduction in the first place. And then, then we get into the topic of like, the reformist versus non-reformist reforms. Yeah. And if we're, we want to talk about lead, we're talking about a reformist reform where, where it looks like we're improving, 
you know, the state and it looks like things are going to be better and there's better outcomes and better changes. Sure. But if you're giving money to the cops, if you're giving money to the state, that to me is a reformist reform. And I, I think a lot of people might agree with me with that. And then the non-reformist reform would be like, why don't we use the money that we would give to lead or that money that lead is going to get, you know, um, to actual direct service providers and agencies, you know, to actual peer-based medical providers, um, for instance, for bisex workers that would be providing really good quality services for people who need it um, or, and who would be otherwise stigmatized if they went to your general local, your lo local general hospital. Um, so, yeah, it would mean diverting money from the state. I feel like that's really important because, like, like reformist reforms, a lot of times the root issue is that the people who are designing those programs really don't believe that peer-based programs will work. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they believe that the, the police is the best, oh, right. like, right. entity to yeah. fix that, yeah. right? But yeah. in the articles that you sent me, it's like, um, like the one about girls who mm -hmm. were in, um, who were involved in the sex industry, they were helping each other. Mm -hmm. But people don't recognize the ways in which that already happens without state involvement. Right, exactly. So can you say what that, what, like, what you're talking about, the girls, how were they helping each other? Like, do you want to? So yeah, it, it's um, from the Young Women's Empowerment Project. It's a Chicago-based um, young people's organizing group that used to exist. I think um, they sunset already, but it was a research report that was, their methodology was participatory action research, so it was by and for young people engaged in the sex trade. Wait, and what's participatory action research? So it's by and for the people who are being studied, right? So, so they they're having our control over what's being studied and how it's oh, being okay. analyzed. Okay. And it, they, they published it, it's online. You can go to urpriceless.org and you can find this research report. It's really great. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's a participatory action research study. Um, and it's called Girls Do What They Have to Do to Survive, Eliminating Methods Used by Girls in the Sex Trade and Street Economy to Fight Back and Heal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to remember that um, drugs have always existed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're not going away. <laughs> um, and our people, like black and non-black indigenous people, have been... Um, we've been doing harm reduction since day one, you know? We, we haven't need, we didn't need the state then, we don't need it now uh, when it comes to our drug use. Um, and then, yeah, it, it just goes back to, again, like, some drugs are fun, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, drugs are fun. And they're also very healing for the things that we have to do sometimes. You know, there's just, again, it's a spectrum, right? Yeah. It's a both-and thing. Um, and there's different functions. It helps people deal with their trauma when they don't want it, they, when they can't, or when they don't want to, or maybe are not ready to deal with it right then and there, and that's okay. We have to meet people where they're at and stay with them along that path. Yeah. Yeah, I want to hear a little bit more about your thoughts about like how people have been doing harm reduction without the state for years and years and years. But um, I do want to talk about like your point on that drugs are going to be here with us for the long haul, and mm -hmm. they have been, and they are fun. Because mm -hmm. I, you know, Paul Butler, he talks about this in his book, where he talks, where he he doesn't name anybody by names, but he says like I've done shrooms with mm -hmm. the law professors, mm -hmm. like prestigious law professors mm -hmm. in 
conferences, mm-hmm. like, legal conferences. Like, I've done drugs with so-and-so, like, mm-hmm. in these places. And, like, I think that's so key because drugs are here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're used by not every single person, but, mm-hmm. like, all people in all mm-hmm. areas of society. Mm-hmm. But it's so... Because of spaces and the way mm-hmm. it, things are enforced mm-hmm. and criminalized and mm-hmm. who bears the brunt of it, mm-hmm. it's it's so disproportionately targets those mm-hmm. who are in like experiencing poverty or mm-hmm. those who don't have like homes with fences that can like keep the police out or mm-hmm. that like don't live in apartments where they have reduced expectations of privacy, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I don't know. I just think that's personally, I'm for the legalization of all drugs mm-hmm. and the legalization of all sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's so like part of it, like we're not going to get rid of drugs. Like right. we're only making it worse. We're only right. making Mexico and mm-hmm. all of Central America mm-hmm. and like so, like parts of South America mm-hmm. suffer like right. the consumption of uh, like the United States's mm-hmm. consumption of drugs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just think that's key because I think it's hypocritical for all of like for people to do any work in this without admitting that fact that like drugs are fun. People like to use them. Yeah. People are going to keep using them no matter what mm-hmm. the law is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's right. And there's so much to say about it. I don't know as much about the international part of drug use, because um, I think that's obviously very nuanced, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, drugs have always existed. They will continue to exist. And it's about... Because if we keep criminalized, not only are we adding people to the carceral system, right? Mm-hmm. It's... We're also, people, some people are dying. There's like, (laughs) there's death, like these are, and there's also long-term health, you know, impacts that people are having by the criminalization of drugs and drug use. Even if it's just trauma, it's significant. Right, absolutely. There's the trauma part of it. Um, There's there's HIV AIDS, there's long-term undetectable hep C, there's abscess, you know what I mean, depending on the drugs that you're using, like... You know what I mean? It's long-term, and these have negative consequences for people, the individual, and their families, too. Um, And another thing, too, that I I can't gloss over is when we're talking about... Because, you know, this person who wrote this book, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I use shrooms with my law professors. Cool. Do your life. But also, like, when we think about drugs, I think it's important to think of it as the umbrella, right? There's drugs within it that are illicit and illicit Mm -hmm. drug Mm -hmm. use, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We were talking about earlier tobacco, right? Um, Completely legal, licit, right? And then there's the illicit ones, right? Uh, Meth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Heroin. Um, We can name a list. Um, And then also how... um, the stigma of certain drugs have changed throughout the years, too. Like, opium was a white woman's drug way back in the early 20th century. I think it was before World War I. Um, and you could just use it. It was, like, in newspapers and magazines, you know. It was, like, totally okay. Um, and then, you know, we just know historically... Um, the policing, particularly of black women's bodies, you know, and, and we, especially with like the quote-unquote crack epidemic, right? Um, and then the myth of the crack baby, right? How that was also very uh, gendered and racialized with anti-blackness to further police um, p- 
people who were giving birth, but particularly, you know, moms and women who were giving birth um, during that time. And the involvement of the state through the foster care system and things like that. And then that also, we can, I can't ignore that when we're talking about harm reduction either, because a yeah. lot of that, a lot of what we know about harm reduction and how it's been used, um, it has been by people who've been targeted by it, you know, and a lot of harm reduction is saved by people who've, who practice harm reduction every day, whether or not they're currently using or have used in the past. Um, you know, they, they are saying, you know, um, nothing about us without us. You know, yeah, and it's, you know, nothing that. about us without us. And it's like, if they're being targeted, <laughs> you yeah. need to, you know what I mean? Like, I'll hold that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the lessening of the stigma, I feel like, is what's most powerful about this framework. Because, yeah. like, when you first said it to me, you were like, well, like, when you have a, a harm reduction analysis, it's recognizing that, like, the things that people do, like drug use or like the things that you do to get through your everyday mm -hmm. are what you try and do to survive. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the like normative framework right now is like you're doing something bad for yourself right. and I need to come in and right. like be your parent <laughs> and tell you right. like what you're doing wrong and right. why. Right. That's so patronizing. Absolutely. Yeah, which is what it is, right? And I feel Absolutely. like this framework like lets us step back from what the state tells us is good or bad and Absolutely. lets us analyze that for ourselves and lets us uh, decide as individuals like what's good and what's bad absolutely and I think there is that that myth right that common conception like oh if you're doing drugs you hate yourself yeah. you know <laughs> and it's like no it's I care about myself and that's why I'm using drugs and alcohol you know like this is it's a form of treatment you know and like for a lot of people it's just minimizing the risk and the harm that can go along with it Especially because it's so stigmatized. What are the pushbacks people have to harm reduction? Like, oh what are gosh. what are the things people yeah. say? Like, we can't practice harm reduction, or they say like, oh, I don't want to see harm reduction implemented. I prefer it the yeah. way it is. Like, why are those reasons? Yeah. Like, what's propelling people? Yeah. What are you hearing? So, <laughs> a lot of it we were talking about this earlier, right? About um, the don't do drugs education, the abstinence only education that we get when we're young people in the United States and in schools. Um, and it's any how people see how any use of drugs, right, anything, anything at all that could be like uh, drug assisted medication, right, to get you off another drug, for instance, abstinence, um, I'm sorry, methadone and suboxone, right, to help people cope with the, um, uh, what do you call it, the withdrawal, the symptoms of getting off opiates, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that is, that's one drug being used. And so, a lot of people, for instance, in abstinence-only programs and people who want only abstinence, they're saying, well, any form of drug use, including the, the drug that is helping you cope with the symptoms of getting out the other drug, that's not allowed. That's not okay. Because any drug use, it's bad drug use. Mm -hmm. But, um, <laughs> you know, and that includes alcohol, too. Um, and then a lot of people think that harm reduction is, like, enabling, you know? It's like, oh, you're... I've been called an enabler so many times, like, mm -hmm. by other social workers, too. You know, like, oh, no, that you're just enabling people being toxic and harmful, and you want to get them into more trouble. And what do they What do they mean by that? <laughs> like, oh, enabling them to be more harmful? Because, like, what right. you're saying makes sense to me, you know? Like, you're yeah. helping someone, like live a life that they can do authentically and that's mm -hmm. addressing whatever they yeah. whatever trauma or yeah. harm they yeah. they feel otherwise so mm -hmm. what do they mean like you're you're when they see that as you causing more harm like mm -hmm. what are they talking about i i, I wouldn't know because i don't have that perspective <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but but i can assume <laughs> i tried to figure it out and i couldn't right and I, I actually <laughs> pondered this at night and i just couldn't get it but but from what i my assumptions are right i think it's um, 
I think it's this black and white mentality that a lot of people have, you know, and about like the law and how that's yeah. socially conditioned within us. Like yeah. if it's against the law, it's bad, it's immoral, mm -hmm. it's wrong. And you know, it goes down to morality for a lot of people. Um, so am I hearing religion also? It can be, yeah, absolutely. It can be, you know, some spirit. And it's funny because, like, when we talk about religion, we're talking about Western religion, yeah, right? Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, all of these things are very Eurocentric and Anglicized and like very modern in a lot of ways in Western. Um, and then, yeah, which is funny because it's not funny, but it's interesting because again, this black and white mentality really ignores the mental health, not just the trauma part, but with people who have acute high need mental health illness right and who struggle with that every day and that can be uh, schizophrenia you know uh, psychotic disorder it can be so again in the social work mental health field that i work in a lot of people use drugs to help m manage those symptoms you know they use meth or they use heroin to manage those symptoms and again that is a form of care for themselves in a way that they can have autonomy and agency over it um yeah, and it can be the same thing with alcohol use, too. Sometimes people use alcohol, and if they're homeless, to stay warm, you know? Yeah. And to get through the cold nights, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and some people use meth, and they're homeless to, to... You know, some people who are homeless and who use meth, they do it to stay up all night because they don't trust their environment on the outside, yeah. you know? And that's why the housing first stuff is a big harm reduction approach to, to drug use too, get people housed. <laughs> because if they're using outside and publicly, it's harmful because they, they might not know um, what, you know, they might be, for instance, if it's using intravenously, they might not know if they're getting the right vein, you know, if they're using, mm -hmm. for instance, in a public space, they might get caught by the police. There's just a yeah. lot of risk associated with it. Whereas like, you know, in, in harm reduction, um, there's this, I don't know how to describe it, but when you hear harm reduction and you're around a lot of harm reductionists, you hear drug set and setting, you know, and it's like how you're using with who you're using to identify the risks and to help mitigate those risks and minimize it too. Um, for instance, using alone can be harmful, right? It's actually more helpful to use with other people around because if you OD, people can call, you know, medical support, they can administer the Narcan, etc. Um, so I, I think a lot of it also has to do, it's very individualized and it's very strategic harm reduction. That's why it's also like not a, not a box that everyone could fit into because just, you know, how we use and who we use with or when we use it, 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 it can look very different. Yeah. I also feel like a lot of the pushback is just like you were saying, Cynthia, like it's just paternalistic. Like it's just this idea that yeah. I know what's right. And right. so I'm going to, and I know what timeline you're right. going to be on. Right. And if you don't listen to me, right. then you're morally wrong. Right. right. And, and I think a lot of people also like to use the, uh, I don't know how you say it. Um, use the public harm and the public good oh, yeah. as, a, as an excuse to, to control people who are drug users, you know, like, oh, but they're putting people in danger, you know, if they're driving under the influence, you know, they like to, which is true, you know yeah. what I mean? We want to, you know, help maintain the safety of everybody, right? But it's like, you're a danger to society. And that's how the judges and DAs mm -hmm. also determine a lot of sentencing, yeah. right? It's like the public safety. Mm -hmm. It's like, well... Having not harm reduction in anything is a public safety issue, and yeah. having cops exist is a public safety issue, and that's not, that's not a an out of the ordinary idea either. It feels like that it's like, who are they seeing as the harm being created right. to? Right. 
Um, and who's and, valued and, enough yeah. to be considered harmed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I do, um, I want to keep talking about this, but I, I want to go back quickly to something you had said earlier uh-huh. about um, other, com- like, indigenous and black mm-hmm. communities mm-hmm. practicing harm reduction mm-hmm. for years. So, like, what does that look like? Because I'm, I'm wondering, like, for folks listening, and for myself, too, just, like, what are ways that maybe us as individuals who form and shape this culture, like do you practice harm reduction? What does that look like? Maybe with our friends Mm -hmm. and, or maybe with ourselves or Mm maybe, you know, or, and how do we practice like harmful actions? Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm just trying to think like, because I very much am a proponent of, like, individuals shape society. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we can't say, like, oh, society has this problem. It's, like, no, right. in some way we're contributing. Right. And so I want to think about, like, harm harm reduction in the personal. Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I want to start with the historical. Yeah, okay. Um, so, for instance, we brought up the cultural, spiritual um, uh, perspective of drug use, right? And how drugs are used. Uh, for instance, in my culture, right, um, ayahuasca can be used as a spiritual journeying um, medium, right, to gain more insight and even healing for your own self, right? Um, and that's, that's, but it's also a very controlled, intentional, and thoughtful way, right? Of not to say that other drugs aren't used that way, but in that specific setting, that's how it can be used. And that's pre-existed before colonization, right? Um, and I know there's many indigenous communities. I'm not a part of them, but I know this just from hearing other indigenous people speak um, and knowing them personally and talking about their cultures and spiritual practices that, yeah, this this has been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many other ways that even today, uh, for instance, sex workers are taking care of themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Um, there's peer-based... Um, medical providers in San Francisco, uh, St. James Infirmary is one of them, you know, it's by and for sex workers because they found the need of like, we are stigmatized and we are criminalized for going into a hospital (laughs) and getting the care that we need. And because we care about ourselves, you know, and it's great because it's flexible hours too, Mm. you know, so it's like, and plus it's, yeah, and even social workers, we're so complicit and I'm the first one to always critique my profession because I'm like, no, we are part of the state. We are tools of the state in so many ways. Um, and yeah, it's again, taking back that power and agency on behalf of like peer run organizations and providers because they know what they need, <laughs> you know, and our job is just to support that. So it, a lot of this is modern and ongoing and, um, because I'm not particularly belonging to those communities, right? I feel like it's not my place to speak on it. But again, they exist and they're out there and, and it has. I mean, that's why we're here, too, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think some ways that we, like, I'm thinking just depending on your context, right? Um, if we're thinking about schools, um, colleges and universities, for instance, right? Because um, I know a lot of students must be listening to your podcast. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> um, yeah, it can be like, it can be really creative, you know, like alcohol, right? That's the number one drug actually in the U.S. People think like it's a lot of other things, but it's actually alcohol. Um, and what does that mean? You know, when you're when you're using and you're using recreationally, um, there's a lot of harm reduction things that people are already doing, right? Buddy systems, writing the check marks down on your arm, right? Yeah. To see how many shots you've taken. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, kind of noting when was the last time you used. And a lot of this does happen in, like, 
group settings, right? Um, I know some schools also adopt some policies, right, of this amnesty policy, right, when you call the, the campus safety or something like that, you're not, like, criminalized with the, <laughs> with yeah. the college system, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, Yale had, Yale, it's funny, because I got to see both of those policies, like, Yale had that at first, uh-huh. where if you called for your friend who was, like, mm-hmm. really, really sick, mm-hmm. then they would just go to the hospital, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't get in trouble, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I think... They had a rule where, like, if this happened multiple times, then they would tell your dean, but, like, mm-hmm. otherwise, mm-hmm. like, nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then after, then they changed that policy so that, like, um, people could get in trouble. And, like, wow. if, so, and it was really, really bad. Because when yeah. Because before, it was, like, you wouldn't even think about it. Like, right. you would just call Yale Health because it's, like, your friend is too drunk. Right. But then there are all these, like, really scary instances of people deciding, like, should we call like this person's gonna get right. in trouble and that's actually right. like might cause them more trouble mm-hmm. than what's currently happening right now like maybe mm-hmm. we should just wait it out mm-hmm. and uh-huh i think i think it goes on to also uh the reliance of those formal state sanctioned systems to take care of ourselves yeah. right whereas like if we had more peer-based community runways of like knowing our bodies that's and how true. to like awaken you know yeah. what i mean like a lot of that can be like, is this person conscious or unconscious? Are they responding back to you? I right. used to be an RA, and some people would think like, and I was I was a harm reduction RA first of all. I'm a harm <laughs> reduction social worker. I made sure I didn't bust anybody for anything. I was like, are you good? Like, is this a known person who sexually assaults people that you're partying with? Okay, so like, you know what I mean? Like, let's get our shit together. You know what I mean? Like, know who you're partying with. Like. Um, be, be, you know what I mean? Like, let's come up with some strategies and this would be in a community-based setting, you know? And, like, that was very contentious, too, just because that was the reputation I had. But, again, it's, like, how do you... And it's also a risk that I took, right? So you also have to know. But now as a social worker, like, I'm thinking, okay, I'm very transparent with, with our clients and the people that I work with. Like, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. Mm. You know, that way they can give me... They, they have the authority and the agency to disclose whatever it is that they want to disclose with me. Um, but I also know that it's been contentious even with some social workers when I've shared, like... Yeah, I know I'm supposed to get this person into abstinence-only treatment, but I'm going to give them the resources to clean syringe access programs in the city. And I'm going to let them know where the drop-in center is so that they can go when they're high, low, or crashing. You know, especially if they're street-based. You know, why not? And that was a contentious topic, too, and I shared it with the social workers. So I think it also, you have to... Be honest with yourself, depending on your professional standing. Like, yeah. what risk are you willing to take? And also just being aware that, you know, you're not breaking any, like, policies and stuff like that at your workplace. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I think on the personal level, too, right? Because we're so socialized and conditioned to think certain ways, we, we can produce harm. And sometimes that means thinking that our only option is relying on the state. Yeah. Right? Or, like, we, I feel like we create additional stigma as mm-hmm, well that mm-hmm. happens. So, like, when when you're talking about sex workers feeling stigmatized of going in to seek medical care, like, those those staff at the medical care, like, there are people who live amongst us, mm-hmm. everybody, you know, we, there are cousins, there are aunts, everybody's, mm-hmm. at, like, we're not all, like, separated from each other, we all coexist, like, mm-hmm. we, you know? So, I'm thinking also, like, when I've had conversations with people about how, like, I'm, like, we should legalize sex work, you know, we should, like, let that be mm-hmm. out in the open and not so stigmatized. I can take people to a certain point, but mm-hmm. they'll always, like, stop or, like, they'll stay or stick on this point of, like, 
oh no, but like human trafficking. Oh, like, yeah. um, <laughs> oh no, but like, um, so many of these women are like put onto drugs so that they become addicted and then have to rely mm, on the pimps mm-hmm, to get them to work mm-hmm. and then they're like abused and mistreated. And like, I can't, like, yeah, like that's something where I feel like we but it doesn't to me it still doesn't make sense it's like so that's something like where you'd want to help not stigmatize the work Mm -hmm. so like people's connections don't make a whole lot of sense Mm -hmm. to me but people get so stuck on that oh right the trafficking part of the sex industry yeah um i i think it's one thing i recently learned too um about the sex industry and trafficking is that it's trafficking sex trafficking in particular is one percent I think, of all of the sex industry. (laughs) Um, And it gets so much money. um, And how actually connected that is Mm. to more criminalization, right? Um, That's so complicated. Because with trafficking, um, first of all, we currently have people who have been trafficked, who are women, who are incarcerated exactly. for for defending themselves and surviving their traffic yes. their traffic experience. Yeah. Um and the same applies to people who are women who are in prison who weren't trafficked, you know, um and who have been and were sex workers and did what they have to do to survive and to stop being harmed, you know, in, in terms of like intimate partner violence and domestic violence cuz Obviously, the relationship between a trafficker and the person that they're trafficking is coercive and abusive, and there's no level playing field of power control, right? Um, but then, yeah, so it's the criminalization of, of, of women. Um, and then also the criminalization, they say that, like, oh, people who are trafficked aren't going to get in trouble with the law. But sometimes people who are trafficked also are not documented, right? right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then you have... So, yeah, and then so they're actually... they work Exactly. They they're actually collaborate with ICE. You know, the cops collaborate with ICE to deport people who are being trafficked. Um, and then you have the whole... Um, I think, right, and a lot of people would agree, the co-optation of... Um, domestic violence and gender violence um, by the cops, right? So when we look at VAWA, right, a lot of that in getting a U visa, you have to collaborate with police on an investigation, right? And, you know, unfortunately, that can be a lot, the only option for people who are undocumented and have experienced gender-based violence. Um, And there's a limited amount even. Absolutely, absolutely. Even if you do qualify for VAWA, Meaning, like, you have been the victim yeah. of a crime or right. abuse, and you collaborate, you right. work with the cops and, like, right. cooperate with what they need from you. Mm-hmm. There might just not be a visa available anymore. Right. <laughs> Which right. is, uh Exactly. Yeah. I feel like the issue with U visas is, like, how people conceptualize harm. Mm-hmm. Because... Right, like, you've just been talking about how a lot of this is ultimately comes down to state-sanctioned violence, Mm -hmm. which applies most appropriately or, like, really acutely when you're talking about someone who's undocumented. Mm -hmm. Like, someone who experienced state-sanctioned violence since the moment that they crossed the border Mm -hmm. since they were crossing the border. And, like, but people don't see the state as the entity that's creating the harm. Right. So that... So then the state is still the solution in right. their mind. Exactly. It's been the co-optation yeah. of, you know what I mean? Again, of like, that's how I see it. It's the co-optation of a domestic violence, anti-domestic violence movement. Um, and a lot of that, I think, could be pointed at VAWA, which if you look at the period of when that started, 
that was also during the height of the drug war too mm. and the height of the I think it was the late 80s and the height of the the huge, the rapid and huge massive increase of like mass incarceration yeah um and that coincides with the war on drugs and I I it's not a conspiracy theory <laughs> a lot of people will call it a conspiracy theory but I'm like no <laughs> this was very intentional and thoughtful by the government um I feel like we should wrap up soon yeah. do you have any last questions you wanted to ask you that hmm in your daily life, what is, like, your favorite way to enact these principles? Like, how how do you work on being not judgmental and not coercive mm-hmm. in your everyday life? Mm-hmm. Like, with myself and my homies or with the clients? <laughs> you can do both, whatever you feel like. Word. Um, for both, I would say um, there's this principle called unconditional positive regard. Right? Wow. Um, I know, right? It's kind of deep. <laughs> it is. Right? No, it is. Um, and practicing that because when you're talking with people who engage in risky behavior, fuck, there's so much judgment already. And there's so much shame that's internalized, yeah. too. It's like, I don't personally want to add to that because that, I know how that feels. That feels shitty, you know? I've been there, mm-hmm. you know, in my own experiences. I don't want to anybody, I don't want to be a part of that thing that makes other people feel that way. And I, that, in my experience, has also helped build trust. Mm-hmm. And for me, in any setting, whether it's my social work setting as a, you know, person who's engaging one-on-one with people or as an organizer, you know, um, it's trust is everything, you know, trust is everything. And it's not going to be gained in that one moment, but it's a stepping stone because people test you, you know, Mm -hmm. they're like, Hmm, how much can I disclose to you? That's going to make you stop supporting me. Mm -hmm. We're going to start judging me, you know, and that I do it too. You know, I'm like, should I be a fucking handful of a client if I ever had a social worker? You know what I mean? And I was in fucking jail. Like, I'd be like, I don't trust you. (laughs) Straight up. So I put myself in that position. Like, what kind of person am I, you know? And how would I, what would I need? What would I, you know? But that's, again, just how my values What did you call it? Uh, Unconditional positive regard. Um, And it's. It's really like affirming the things that people are doing also already to try and heal and to try to survive at the best in the best capacity that they're at. Um, and like that's okay, you know, and also like a lot of that is motivational interviewing, which is like is another method of helping building trust and relationship with people who are engaging in risky behavior. It's kind of it's a lot of exploring and just asking questions, you know mm-hmm. um, and and it means again meeting people where they're at and just staying with them and moving with them too because some people you know were like hey okay so maybe I want to you know thinking about decreasing my drug use you know cool let's explore where that's coming from let's explore um what you think that might look like you know I'm like oh I don't want to do that anymore oh okay cool what caused the change you know what's going on um cool you know and it's just a lot of like exploring and just being genuine with people as best as you can um but I know people have limits. So. I yeah. just love that. Like, sometimes I'm, like, floored by how, like, it's what it sounds like you're saying is just, like, listening to people and, like, <laughs> like giving value to what they say and yeah. trusting that they understand yeah. themselves. And, yeah. Like, yeah. like, being, like, oh, you're a reasonable yeah. person who right. understands and is smart and not discrediting right. them. And it's just, right. like, we can't, like, why, right. why is that such a challenge? Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's such a basic thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. listening to people and trusting that they know what they're doing to take care of themselves. 
and helping them in, mm-hmm. in how they want you, to, they help want you to help them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I think is so wild about this is that, like, actually, these ideas are pretty simple. <laughs> right? Like, they're so revolutionary. Right. right? Like, right. <laughs> like, I feel like what I really appreciate about you and our friendship, I mean, is a lot of times you're just like, you know what? Like, wherever you're at, that's okay. Right. You don't need to be anywhere else. Right. And that it's so affirming. It makes right. me feel so good. Right. But in, and we, <laughs> and we did, like, we need more of that in the world. Right. And it's, and, and it's also like, it's and people have mixed feelings too, right? Because there's this is this can be so many different ways too, right? Being like I've yeah, and it's just being like it's okay to not be okay too. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's okay yeah. to not be okay. Yeah, there's this pressure, you know what I mean, to be productive, yeah. to be like ambitious and successful, yeah. to be a certain place at a certain timeline. It's like these yes. are all Western oppressive concepts that are pressuring you to like be judgmental and shameful. Yeah. You know, and not proud of yourself and how much you've already done to get where you are. And even that, like, it's okay to not be okay. Like, being okay can mean using drugs. Absolutely. Like, can mean... Absolutely. Like, using sex work right. as your means your, of substance. Yeah, like, absolutely. That, that's okay, too. Like, yeah, so... Yeah, it's and awesome. it's also, like, what can I do to support you in this? Yeah. You know, I have people who have disclosed, you know, the fact that they are sex workers and they don't disclose it to a lot of people at all and probably the handful of people that they disclose it with and these are these are my friends, you know? And I'm like, what can I do to check in with you to make sure you're okay? And you know, we have we develop a system, you know, cuz that's my priority. It's like if I care about you, I'm going to be like, "Yo, what do you need?" Yeah. You know, yeah. what can I do to support you? Um, I don't know. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you for yeah. coming thank on you. and sharing so much with us. Yeah, thank you. We really hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know I really enjoyed talking to Fatima and just learning from her. And She has so much wisdom, so I was really excited about it. And in, instead of recommendations, we just want to close up with giving a shout-out to this uh, project art artistic project in Atlanta called Niaki Niaya and it's a multimedia performance and installation that's going to be highlighting Latinx identity in Atlanta out in April. They wrote to us saying that their project will be centered around revisiting their childhood memories, family traditions, and spiritual roots through a lens polished with subversion and decolonization. Yeah, so we'll put links to them and to other stuff that we talked about with Fatima on our website. So make sure to go to Cerebronas.com to learn more about what we talked about. Yvette, it was lovely to be in your home. Thanks for welcoming (laughs) me to Oakland. Of course. Um, Bye, everyone. Bye.